Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, it's page 785 in that blue Bible. <clears throat> page 785 in that blue Bible. Let me give you the backstory, a little backstory to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet in chapter 1, cries out to the Lord. He says, look at your people, Lord, they're a mess. I mean, they even take the law and pervert it. They take justice and mangle it. Oh, what are you going to do about it? And so God responds. And he says, well, I'm going to raise up a pagan tyrant from up north, and he's going to come and discipline my people. And then Habakkuk in chapter 1 says, what? Something like that. He says, wait a minute, that can't be, because as bad as your people are, they're far more righteous than that guy. How could you bring a terrible, morally corrupt pagan tyrant to correct your people? It didn't make any sense to me. And then comes chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself in the tower. Now Habakkuk is going to watch for God's answer and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so the Lord, all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's God's personal name in the Hebrew, and so Yahweh answers, verse 2, Yahweh answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Think about billboards and how big they are. That's what he's telling him to do. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie if it seems slow. Wait for it. I will sh it will surely come. It will not delay. And now he's going to talk about two different groups of people. He's going to talk about that pagan reprehensible tyrant up north who's coming to be used by God to discipline his people, and he's going to talk about the faithful amongst his people. Verse 4, Behold, his soul, that tyrant, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And then God goes on to talk about the tyrant a little further. He equates him with drunkenness and wine. He says, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who has never is never at rest, his greed is at, as wide as Sheol, like death he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects his own as his own all peoples. And then God, starting in verse 6 on through verse chapter 2, says, Oh, you're right, Habakkuk, he's a reprehensible pagan tyrant, and I'm going to bring him down. And when he comes, when he comes down, it's going to be a lot of social chaos that comes with destroying a tyrant. But it doesn't matter. Verse 4. Because even in chaos, even in social decline, the righteous shall live by his faith. Keep that all in mind. Now let's go to Romans chapter 1, which is where we're going to spend almost the whole morning. Romans chapter 1 on page 939. I hope you keep your Bible or Bible apps open to this passage so you can follow along with me. So Paul begins Romans 1 by laying out the gospel kind of in a nutshell, verses 1 through 5, and He's never met these Christians in Rome, but he wants to come and see them. And then he says, starting in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. And then immediately Paul starts to describe social decline that turns into utter chaos. 
And it starts at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Oh, the wrath of God. Huh, it's deserved because of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Oh, got it. It's not fickle like Zeus's was or Jupiter's was. No, this is a well-deserved wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. Got it. Paul moves on. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. But then it goes on. And so all human society keeps pushing against God in this rebelliousness and has exchanged the glory of God for creatures and is lying to itself and is lying to you and each other, to myself and all of that. And so society continues to push against God. And so verse 24, so God gave them over to what they wanted. Homo, more social chaos, more ripping of social fabrics, but humankind continues to push and push and push and push. So verse 26, he gave them over to what they really wanted. Humankind's not happy with that. With all the chaos, we still want to do it with Frank Sinatra, and I did it my way. And so humankind continues to push and push and push and push. Verse 28, so God gave them up to what they really wanted. And notice what they wanted, what we wanted. Verse 29, filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malicious, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Sounds really contemporary. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And as you read verses 18 through 20, 32, you cannot miss the dismal social, familial, national, international consequences. But what was the last gospel promising word said before we entered into the darkness of verses 18 through 32? Doesn't matter. The righteous shall live by faith. Dear friends, what I have summarized and read to you from Habakkuk 2, what I have summarized and read to you from Romans 1, it is the straightening out, stabilizing word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Give us ears to hear today and hearts to rejoice. For we are often more impressed with ourselves, more impressed with our skills, more impressed with our abilities than we are with you. But today, turn us around. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. If uh, you're visiting, 
haven't been here for a while, we've been doing a series from the beginning of January asking this question, what is the gospel? We've seen from scripture several aspects of the answer. We're going to continue to do so today and next Sunday and then the next Sunday after that, and we'll be done shortly. But we're answering that question. So my friends, on the 25th of November in 2023, that was just last year. Can anybody remember 2023? I didn't ask if you wanted to, I asked if you did, okay? On the 25th of November last year, Leah Brown was climbing on the glacier climb side of Oregon's Mount Hood, which means she had all these ropes and she had this stuff on her boots and she had these, uh, I don't know what they're called, these stanchions that she uses to you know, tap into the glacier and pull herself up. She had all that safety gear on, and she went up the incline, and then after time, she decides to come down. There were some severe winter conditions coming, and so she decides to come down. Unfortunately, as she is coming down, she slips, and she falls, slides down that steep slope, several hundred feet down that sheer slope, until she hits the bottom, and she suffers a concussion, and multiple other injuries. And now here she is in this terrible condition and situation, stuck. She's unable to climb up. She's unable to to climb out. And severe weather conditions have moved in. And she is hopeless. Thankfully, there was a mountaineer off in the distance who happened to see her do that, slide and slip to her down to several hundred feet. And so that mountaineer was able to call for rescue. But the rescue took about seven hours to be able to get to her. And the rescue included a whole complex rope system and a litter system. Somewhere there and there, there was a helicopter, but helicopters can't get too close in those situations. But all that was there until she was finally, at the end of seven hours, finally lifted out and finally taken off for recovery. There she was, unable to save herself, And she was utterly dependent upon her rescuers. And she received the rescue. What else would you do? She received the rescue. In fact, she's quoted as saying in the newspaper, I just looked it up. You can find this in Oregon newspapers. I was just looking it up. And she said, quote, I owe my life to my rescuers. I wouldn't have made it off without them. End of quote. My friends, that illustrates for us how well... Um, the gospel, what, what it is all about, and it, and it illustrates for us what comes with the gospel, what happens by the gospel. And so to continue answering our question, what is the gospel, we're going to ask six more questions. Woo! Answering questions with questions. Hmm. Anyways, we're going to ask six questions today, and they will help us to fill in the answer to the big question, what is the gospel? And the first one is, why the gospel comes? I hope you have your Bibles open, because if you pick up, and you've got to see verses 18 through 32. Here's why the gospel comes. As I was reading all of that passage, you should have been thinking, oh, Mike is right. Creation has been shipwrecked, and creatures have been train wrecked. Indeed, beyond doubt. Now, my friends, we know that's the case. You know it's the case. You know it deep down on your bones. I know it deep down on my bones. Everybody in the world actually knows it. And we often squirm under the reality of it. No matter how 
what dreamy concoctions and what excuses we may broadcast, we know it. I mean, it's felt when war rages in Gaza and after, after Jews who were at a concert and kids, Jewish kids were massacred. When non-combatant Palestinians who have nothing to do with Hamas and their kids are horribly maimed and mangled, we feel it. And we usually respond with one of two responses. How long, oh God? Or how could you? It's felt when we see adults who batter. And we see kids who are battered. It's felt down in the deepest parts of our being when courts make decisions that seem to support evil and when governments appear to be hobnobbing with wickedness. We cry out usually one of two things. How long, O Lord? Or how could you? We know it's not right. No matter what we say to cover it all up. Now all of that sounds like out thereness, right? That's what happens out there. And it's easy for us to then point our finger out there and say, why? The reason why there's all this is because it's your fault, whoever you are, right? Whoever the you are, the your is. But Paul in Romans 1, 18 through 32 says to us, turn your hand over while you're pointing that finger, turn your hand over. And what do you see? You see three more fingers pointing right back at you. Notice how he begins verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, of humankind. So let me ask you a very profound question. Answer me if you're bold enough. How many of you are humans? Raise your hand. All right, three of you aren't humans. I'm worried. When Paul said those statement, that statement, he just put us all into the ringer. The wrath of God is revealed against all of my ungodliness and unrighteousness, all of your ungodliness and unrighteousness. You point your finger, turn your hand over. There's three more pointing right back at you. All of this shipwreckedness of creation, all this train wreckedness of his creatures is because of human ingenuity, human insurgency, and human inanity. Insanity, stupidity, whatever. This is why the gospel comes. Creation is shipwrecked. Creatures are train wrecked. We're like Leia Brown at the bottom of that slope and there's not a blasted thing we can do about it and save ourselves. This is why the gospel comes. And so what does the gospel carry? So now go back to verse 16. What does the gospel carry? Notice how Paul begins. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So notice that the gospel carries with it the power of God to rescue, to rescue those who embrace the rescue, just like what Leah Brown did there at Mount Hood. I mean, you would have thought she was like weird if she had said, no, no, excuse me, I don't want your rescue. I can do this all on my own strength. Just give me a few more minutes. I mean, I, I can do this. Back up, back up. I'll save myself. You would look at her and go, girlfriend, 
your eggs have been scrambled. And so the gospel brings with it and carries with it the power of God to save for salvation to everyone who believes, who receives that rescue, that power. Because we are in desperate need of rescue and we are in a desperate condition, what happens? God powerfully comes to reclaim and recoup his shipwrecked creation and his train wrecked creatures. To do so by a, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David, the rescuer. That's what he said back up in verse 3 and 4. He's an offspring of David by according to the flesh, but he's declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness through the resurrection, Jesus Christ our Lord. He, he's reclaiming, recouping his shipwrecked creation, his train wrecked creatures through this rescuer, all according to the Hebrew scriptures, verse 2 as was promised by the prophets in the sacred scriptures. Wow. And in a similar way to Leah Brown's rescuers, this rescuer has jumped into our condition and he's suffered the condition of our train wreck and he braves the severe winter condition and elements that we are in and he rescues us. Just like those rescuers rescued Leah Brown. It was a powerful rescue. It was an effective rescue. It was a real rescue. This rescuer comes and he rescues his people. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe? Do you believe? I've been asking this through this whole series. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, right now, you're saying, you know, Mike, I, I do. What do I do about it? Well, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, can you help me out? Oh, glad you asked. I would love to help you out. So here's one thing. Just look inside your worship guide on the back there where it says, it says silent prayers be prayed during communion, but blah, let's just do it now. Do you see that on the back of your worship guide? Do you see the second prayer? Prayer of belief. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I dared, ever dared admit. But through you, I am more loved than I ever dared to hope. Thank you for paying my debt on the cross, taking what I deserve in order to offer me complete forgiveness, knowing that you have been raised from the dead. I turn from my sins and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Do you believe? I'm going to give you a chance, an opportunity. I'm going to pray this, and I want us all just to be quiet and put your heads down. No raised hands, okay? We're not doing that business. Just put your hands down, your heads down. And as I pray this, maybe, maybe this is the day so I'm going to invite you, whoever you are, to pray this with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever dared admit. But through you, I am more loved than I ever dared hope. Oh, thank you for paying my debt on the cross, taking what I deserved in order to offer me complete forgiveness. Knowing that you have been raised from the dead, I turn 
from my sin and receive you as Savior and Lord. Amen. If that was the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, would you come tell me after church or tell Pastor West? Raise your hand. Pastor West. Tell the elders. Elders, raise your hands. Come tell the elders. Say, hey, I prayed that prayer today. I got Jesus and he got me. So we can rejoice with you and celebrate with you. So the gospel carries with it the power of God for salvation. But notice that the gospel also collects. And that's verse 16, the last part of verse 16. I am not going to talk about this part very, at all today. I'm going to pick it up next week. It'll be the whole sermon next week. But I want to put a bookmark in your Bible for you to ponder this question. Who does the gospel collect? And notice the statement. Jews first and also to the Greek. And take some time this week to look through Romans and see how that unfolds all the way through Romans. Because it tells you who the gospel collects. But more on that next week. Let's go further. And so where the gospel connects, and that's this verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven. In the gospel itself, this proclamation, your God reigns. His name is Jesus. Here's who he is. Here's what he has done. Here's what he is doing. Here's what he will do as he reclaims and recoups his shipwrecked creation and his trainwrecked creatures. In the gospel, as it comes, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, he got one aspect of this really right. But he also got the other aspect of this really right. So let's talk about the first aspect, very simply. What does the righteousness of God mean here? Well, the very first level, clearly, with verses 18 through 32 in mind... It clearly means God's own righteousness, his own moral and ethical upstanding purity. It means his own faithfulness to himself and to his promises. It means the righteousness of God, his justice, his equity, his, his rightness. I don't know how else to put it. There's just more things I could pile on there, but it sounds like I'm starting to beat a dead horse. In the gospel, God's moral, ethical justice is revealed. But secondly, here Martin Luther gets this part beautifully, this aspect, that in the, the righteousness of God that is revealed through the gospel is God's own righteousness in, by, through, and because of Jesus. That's what he'll go on to say all the way through Romans, but that's the point. Part of the point is that the righteousness in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Yes, his full, pure, moral, upstanding justice and the fact that he saves us despite ourselves and more. Let me put it to you this way. The good son of God, through whom this rescue comes, the good son of God takes us while we are in our desperate condition down there on the ledge, freezing, starting to get frostbite in our extremities. And he comes to us and he puts on us the emergency blanket of his own goodness and he wraps us up in his goodness. Which means then he takes us and he puts us on God's good side. 
Now look, okay, I got it. That's a figure of speech. Does everybody understand that? Right? Because God's sides are all good. So don't be thinking that. But you know what I'm talking about? You need to get on your boss's good side. You ever had anybody say that to you? Oh yeah, more than once. And you know what that means? Oh, I need to get back in his favor. Jesus wraps us up in his own emergency blanket goodness and he puts us on the Father's good side. There's a technical term. We call it justification. Imputed righteousness. Whatever you want to call it. But that's the idea. Is that he takes us, rescues us in his own goodness. Then he takes us and puts us on the Father's good side. The good Son's goodness is given to us and we have no claim to it. We are not entitled to it. We cannot say, well, I mean, I deserve it. It is all by grace alone. So go with me through a couple of passages very quickly. Stay with me here. But go to chapter 3. Hold chapter 1. We're coming back to it in a minute. But go to chapter 3, starting at verse 21. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Right? Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and prophets bear witness to both aspects of the righteousness of God. But Paul's going somewhere with this. He's going to the gospel. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. By the way, that's the beginning to answer your question who the gospel collects. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified. Are declared righteous, are put on God's good side because of the good son's goodness. Are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Hold that word propitiation. We're coming back to it. To be received by good works and effort. Is that what it says? I'm seeing if you're awake. To be received by faith. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance... He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So notice that the whole, the gospel brings with it and reveals the righteousness of God. And that's what Paul is saying. It reveals the righteousness of God that comes through Jesus Christ that clothes us and puts us on God's good side. And it uses this fancy word that we never, ever, 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 ever use unless you're in church. Through the propitiation. What in the world's propitiation? Is that a disease? Anyways, well, I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked. I want to tell you. Let me first off quote to you one more verse. This was from our call to worship. 1 John chapter 4. This is love. Not that we love God that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the love of God. Not that we made ourselves lovable and God was wowed and was like, oh, I'm so glad they've stoked my ego because I'm so fragile. No, this is love. Because we hated him to our toenails all the way down. We hated him. This is love. 
That God loved us, not that we loved Him. How did He show His love? Because He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's what propitiation means. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It is a justified wrath. His law even says, you sin, you die. We know that in our bones. And so propitiation is Jesus, the rescuer, who did no sin, stepping in to take what we deserved. And to pay, if you want to put it this way, use economic terms, to pay the price we could not pay. In June of 2000, there was a judge in a small claims court in Fairfax, Virginia. His name was Judge McDonough. I just butchered his last name. But McDonough, you can look it up online, it's online. And Judge McDonough is sitting there on the bench, and here comes landlords. And they're filing suit against this couple because this couple is behind on rent and they've been consistently behind on rent. And so the judge says, Okay, so how much do they owe? Well, they owe $200. It was really $200. And he says, Well, can you just go ahead and write it off? No, Your Honor. The law demands they pay it. And we're sick and tired of them not paying it. Because it was a long series. So then he looks over at the, two, the couple and he says, what's wrong? How come you're not able to pay it? Well, then they start signing and they have an interpreter. Oh, they're deaf. Yeah, so it, her name was Debbie and his name is Lewis. And they had just gotten married some months back. And when they got married, for some reason, it changed their disability checks to where they got both their disability checks came in by half and so now they can't even pay their rent and the judge is sitting there and he's going oh so he looks back at the landlord look obviously they can't pay it and obviously they're in need can't you just write this off no your honor the law demands it so judge madonna frustrated looks over at the bailiff i think the bailiff's name was aaron e-r-i-n he says aaron let's go and they leave Everybody's aghast. What? The judge goes back in the chambers, goes to his briefcase and comes back out. He sits down back on the bench and he says to the landlord, they owe 200? Yes, your honor. Here's the 200 and here's 50 for the next month. Case closed. Amazing. That's propitiation in a sense. The judge, somebody has to pay. The judge paid the price and he didn't need to for himself. He did it for them. It was so powerful that the other four lawyers that were in the courtroom, by the way, who had other cases to try, immediately pulled out their checkbooks, started writing checks to give to the deaf couple, and they ended up with $1,200 when it all was done and said. Propitiation. Here's what the gospel carries, or how the gospel connects. And my friends, when you finally get it, and you finally realize that by grace alone and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, you have been put in this gospel position on God's good side and you didn't deserve it. It's from there then you begin recovery. When Leah Brown was taken off the, the mountain, she didn't start recovering while she was in the condition. The rescuers had to take her off and take her to the, to the clinic or the, uh, the hospital for her to start getting that circulation and make sure there's no frostbite and all that stuff, right? It's in this gospel position, rescued, put on God's good side because of His good Son, that you begin recovery. It's there. We begin reveling in God, being on God's good side, which then ignites in us. Stronger and stronger desires for goodness. 
Uh, but it also helps us when we aren't so good after all. To recall, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The gospel connects God's righteousness to us and to him. But notice also it flows. The gospel courses. This is the last part, the middle part of verse 17. It says, from faith for faith. It's the power of God for salvation where everyone believes. Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Our responsibility is in there as rescued people to tell others in need of rescue and in need of the rescuer from faith for faith. It's just like Leah Brown, and she said, and was recorded as saying in the paper, talking about her rescuers, I owe them my life. I wouldn't have made it off without them. The course, the gospel course is from faith for faith. This is why we're doing these funny hand motions. So guess what we're going to do now? Funny hand motions. So I want the kids to get up, because the adults have slept since again last week, and they don't remember this, you know, so you've got to help them. Come on, kids. And parents, if you, adults, if you would jump in and help them, this would be great, or be, do it with them. What do we do with the gospel? First off, we receive the gospel. Then what do we do? We own the gospel. Then what do we do? We pass on the gospel. Let's do it again. No, 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 sit down, no, sit down. They're do it all, all together. What do we do with the gospel? We receive the gospel. We own the gospel. We pass on the gospel. Now you can sit down. There's the gospel course from faith for faith. And so the gospel flows from faith for faith, but also notice it, we come to when the gospel counts. And it's really that statement when he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2. Because it's the last gospel positive thing Paul says before he moves into the train wrecked creation and the, ship, the shipwrecked creation, the train-wrecked creatures in verses 18 through 32. No matter how shipwrecked the shipwrecked condition of creation is, no matter how train-wrecked the train-wrecked condition of creatures are, no matter how it works out socially, no matter how it works out in our families, no matter how it works out in our neighborhoods, no matter how it works out in our country or internationally, what do you do? The righteous shall live by faith. You've been made righteous all by grace alone. Doesn't matter what happens in the world. It's already given to you. It's secured. It's set in stone. You're not losing it. You're the righteous, and what do you do? You live. How? The same way you were saved, by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Having been made righteous by God's righteousness from Jesus, we live. 
And we move on in this shattered world through all the debris, the carnage, the rubble, the wreckage. We, we live through it and move through it confident in our righteous rescuer in God. That's the connection and why Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4 because it's the same kind of condition as you see going on in Habakkuk and you see in Romans 1 starting in verse 18 in all of this social fabric tearing and shattering and all the world's chaos, the righteous shall live by faith. We live confident because despite our world becoming a battlefield decimated by the outcomes of human ingenuity, human insurgency, and human inanity. My friends, when we finally can grasp that that is settled, and that that is written in granite, carved in the stone by the nails that pierced Jesus' hands, then it means we can finally get on in the midst of the disappointments, we can get on in the midst of the delays, the tumbles, and the temptations. It means we can look up and we can know that we are loved more than we can grasp and we can move on. And we can finally be more part of God's remedy and less part of the disease. The gospel connects and it counts, it counts. And so I love the, the second prayer I want to point out in the back of the worship guide. It's the third, it's actually the third prayer. It's the second one I'm going to refer to, but it's the third one here. This has a lot, if you, if, when you finally get it and you realize that the, how the gospel connects or counts, how the gospel counts, you realize you have nothing to fear. Now most of the times we struggle with assurance because down deep in our hearts I think we believe that I'm just too big a stinking sinner for God to save. In other words, my sin is just too powerful for God to overcome. I think that's what we're really thinking in our hearts. If you aren't, that's what I think. And so I love this prayer. It's prayer, the prayer for those struggling with sin, but I would go just as well, the prayer for those struggling with assurance. Lord Jesus, enable me to see in you the fulfillment of my true needs and may I turn from every false satisfaction to feed on you, the true and living bread. Enable me to see that your gospel is bigger than my sin. And that your work breaks the power of sin as well as freeing me from its penalty. Enable me to lay aside the sin that clings so closely and run with perseverance the race set before me, looking to you, the pioneer and the author of faith. The gospel counts first off because it gives us that assurance. And so even if I don't feel assured, it doesn't matter. I've got the one who's saving me and that's the only thing that's saving me. But it gives us assurance so while the world is falling apart, we know one thing. He's saving us and He's not discarding us. And so the righteous live by faith. The gospel counts. The gospel counts. Let's pray.
Lord our God, thank you so much for the gospel that declares that our God reigns and his name is Jesus and all about him and how he is reclaiming and recouping the shipwrecked creation of train-wrecked creatures. How your righteousness is displayed there. That the power of God for salvation comes with the gospel. And so I pray that if anyone has not yet called upon you to be saved, that they would do so, that this would be the day. I hope that some did earlier today. And I pray for all of us as we wrestle with assurance, as we wrestle with um, the chaotic world we live in, that, Lord, we would be secured in knowing that the righteous, those whom you have made righteous through your Son, the righteous shall live and live by faith. And there, Lord, may we reach out from that secure position and reach out and become more and more part of the remedy and less and less part of the disease. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.